0: So, um, sometimes Google is your friend. Um, Google was my friend this week. Because I was kind of thinking of, of illustrations to kind of get us started this morning. And I really couldn't think of anything beyond the Music Machine song that I learned when I was a kid about the snail. Um, and, and that would have been, a, it, thank you, I'm glad other people know about this. Okay, yeah, Herman, man. Herman is my homeboy. He's, he's a great guy. But, I, you know, rather than having us all sing, have patience, have patience together, I figured I would, I would kind of look up some other things. And so I looked up longest wait on Google. I learned some very interesting things. I'm going to share them with you now. Did you know that the longest wait for a ride at Disneyland recorded, not estimated, but actual, 223 minutes? It was for the Radiator Springs Racers at California Adventures. Yeah, that's why we didn't go on that one. Um, I'm not saying that was me personally, but I'm sure it would have felt like that long if we were in there. Okay, how about this one? Longest wait for a tennis game at Wimbledon? 20 hours to get in the gates. The line stretched for 1.5 miles. I don't even know if they were still playing by the time they got in. (laughs) But, wow. Wow. OK, this one might hit a little close to home for you, and I'm sorry. OK, this is not meant to be a political statement. I, like I said, Google, it just is. OK, um, B.C. currently has the longest healthcare wait times in Canada. Median average across the nation in 2018 for what was deemed a medically necessary treatment. No idea what that is. 19.8 weeks nationwide. That's not awesome, but B.C., it's averaging 23.2 weeks but I guess we should be happy because the year before it was 26.2 weeks, so it's coming down. That's like by a whole month, okay? But if that depressed you, how about this? If you're a Green Bay Packers fan, (laughs) your wait list for season tickets is the longest of any sporting team in any venue in any sport ever. The current wait list for a Green Bay Packers season ticket is 30 years, three zero 0 years. <laughs> there are people who have signed their infant children up on the wait list, hoping that either A, they will have the means to afford the season tickets, and B, they will still be a football fan in 30 years. That's quite a hedge investment there, okay? Wow. Wow. Waiting is a part of our lives. Waiting, is a, waiting has been a part of our lives since the beginning of what we know. I mean, you don't have to look very far in the Bible to find waiting being a common theme. Okay? We know this. We know this. We are, we are waiting for little things, and we are waiting for big things, and we are waiting for the end of all things. And we talked last week about Abraham, and and we talked about him in terms, we talked about he and Sarah in terms of hope, but hope is tied to waiting. And if you remember what I said last week, as a lot of times, you know, we got the Reader's Digest version of Abraham and Sarah, where we see, you know, there's a conversation here, and there's a promise there, and there's messengers in the desert here, and what we forget is that those are the highlights, and most of their life is lived waiting and the only assurance that they have are these promises and the only and the only real presence the tangible presence of God in their lives is these promises hanging on day after day week after week month after month year after year throughout their whole lives and that and that faithfulness and hope are characterized more in the waiting Than when God does something and so when we start talking about this idea of patience Becoming patience embracing patience patience is the fruit of the spirit I think we need to realize is is that we're this is really rubber meets the road kind of stuff. This is where we live We live in the waiting We live in the waiting not just for the return But we live in the waiting for all of the things that are in between now and then And I thought about where I could go with I mean there's so many different stories in the Bible. there's so many different scriptures that we could read. there's so many different places that we could go, but where I want to go is to a place that you probably don't normally go, which would be the book of numbers. You're like there's a book of numbers, yes, there is, okay It's actually very important, okay um it, and, and the reason I go to the book of Numbers is because it was the first thing I thought about that was longer than a wait for a Green Bay Packers season ticket. Because <laughs> instead of 30-year wait, Israel gets to deal with a 40-year wait. And why? We're going to go to Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14, okay? And, and we're just going to kind of, I'm going I'm to kind of do this as a, as a paraphrase through, okay? But you can read through this, Okay. The whole reason that the book of Numbers, it says at the beginning of the book, the whole reason the book of Numbers exists is to, in essence, figure out what the resources of Israel are for the assurance of the people that God is leading them to go and take the promised land, okay? That is the reason that that it is even called the book of numbers is that it starts with a census and says, we got these many people in this tribe from this clan and clan and clan and clan. And once you get through all the tribe and clan and clan and clan and clan, then you get to the the reason why they're doing all this is because God told us to, because he wanted to assure us that through his might, not by our might, because I mean, the numbers look really big to you, but if you think about it, they're actually real small as far as armies are concerned, as far as the superpowers of the day are concerned. It's to assure them that it is by God's might, not theirs, that they are going to go in and they're going to be able to receive the promise that was promised to Abraham many, 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 many years ago. And the whole business of, you know, they've, they've been through the, some of the wandering in the wilderness. They've been learning to trust. And you get to Exodus 13, it feels like everything's kind of building to this climax. And they're right on the edge of the promised land. And they go send in 12 spies, okay, people to scout. one for every, One for every tribe represented. And they head in there. And we kind of know how the story goes because, because you're, you, you feel like everything's moving toward this point and then all of a sudden there's a major plot twist. And that plot twist is Israel's self-confidence issues. It, it is. Um, because instead of everything moving as it should, what comes back is, well, the report is, is the land is everything that God promised it to be. But then, there's a problem. The people there are entrenched, okay? Uh, Randy, you asked me a question last, you asked me a question Sunday night at the Mexistack party about the Nephilim. they are in Numbers 13. That's where you get that name. It actually means, it actually means, it's, it's the, the name colloquially means the fallen ones, okay? We're not going to get into this too much, but, but. It goes all the way back to this traditional idea if you go back to Genesis 6 where there's this talk about the, the sons of God that see the daughters of men and think that they're kind of cool looking and so they shack up with them. And then their children are the heroes of old. Okay, I don't think that these are actually, like here in Numbers, I don't think that we're actually dealing with like some strange demigod superhuman. I think they're exaggerating. Okay, they're like, no, these people are so good, and they're so big, and they're so strong. They're like, this, they're like the fallen ones of old. And we're like little grasshoppers, and they're going to squash us, and that's all they can see. And so you, you, have, you have the majority report saying the land is great, but we can't do it. And you have the minority report, which says, what are we worried about? This whole thing was about God leading us. Have we forgotten what happened in Egypt? Which is why there is a person in our audience today named Caleb. And there's a person in our audience today named Joshua. But there is nobody in our audience named Shemua. (laughs) Or any of those other names. Okay? Because nobody remembers Shemua because nobody wants to remember Shemua because Shemua didn't get it. You look in Numbers thirteen. That's his name. Okay, I mean, it's a real thing. I'm. I'm not. Yeah. Okay, because he's one of the ten that say we can't do this. And here's what I think is. And here's what I think is so interesting. Okay, because again, it is so important to see how much how much patience and hope are intertwined. Okay, both of them, in fact, are produced by the Holy Spirit. And it's easy, I think, I think, even to see patience as an outgrowth of hope. If I am allowing the Holy Spirit to generate hope within me, it is easier for me to allow the Holy Spirit to generate patience without me or outside of me. Okay, okay. And because of that, when we allow fear or trouble to come in and steal our hope, patience just goes right out the window with it, okay? Look at how, I mean, seriously, look in this story how quickly the trust that leads to patience gets disrupted with Israel and how quickly the wheels fall off, okay? It's not even just, I mean, you would think that if they came back and said, okay, this is stronger than we thought it was, That they would convene like a council or something and say, okay, let's re-strategize. Maybe we need to kind of rethink how we're coming at this. No, 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 no. What's the first thing out of their mouth? If only we had died back in Egypt. And you're going, what? Wait, what? What? If only we had died as slaves. It was so much better there. Really? It was Wow, you've gotten really nostalgic in the last few months, haven't you? Okay, like, and, and then it's, it just keeps snowballing. Let's elect a new leader to take us back across the desert into slavery. Really? No, no, I'm, I'm not making this up. It's in there. Read it. It's there. You guys are looking at me funny, and I'm going, no, it's there. Okay, okay. But not before we throw rocks at Moses and Aaron until they're dead for leading us on this ridiculous journey. And we go, really? That just seems so silly. Are we so different? Are we so different? How often when we make that move backward away from God out of fear, right? When, 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 when our hope is under attack, okay, when, when, when our, our, our faith is being compromised by the circumstances of life and instead of that move forward to grab the hope that we need in Christ, we move backward out of fear. How quickly... Does our adversary just seize on to that moment and captivate our imagination with the worst possible scenario? And we find ourselves just reacting to everything. Part of allowing the fruit of patience to move in our lives is refusing to allow the adversary to seize us when our hope become when our hope is in contention when our hope becomes compromised when we are faced with that decision to either, either either move forward and grab hold of what we really need in christ or to move backward out of fear and try and take control of this myself and we need to realize that there is an adversary that is waiting just waiting For that opportunity to seize onto that fear and use your imagination, which is a powerful and beautiful thing given to you by God, but can go all kinds of really stupid ways, okay? To imagine the worst possible scenario so that you just start reacting to everything. And how do I know this? Because I do it. And how do I know that we do this? Because I know you and I know you're like me. But we do. We are more like Israel than we think. And we continue the story through Numbers 14, and, and, and I love this, okay? First, the glory of the Lord inserts itself and asserts itself to the crowd, okay? Literally, they are getting ready to pick up the rocks and throw them at Moses and Aaron, and all of a sudden, the tangible presence of God just kind of right in front of them. Same Kind of the the language is kind of the same thing that happens when the Egyptians are bearing down in their chariots on Israel at the Red Sea and the glory of the Lord inserts it. So obviously it's not just God asserting his power. It's also kind of a reminder like, hey, remember the last time I did this? Who was on the right side? Who was on the wrong side? Oh, right. So he stops the action. And it. It's fun. It's, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, I love this exchange. It's kind of like God saying, enough, everybody go to your tents until I figure out what to do with you. Okay? And the ensuing conversation that happens between Moses and God is very interesting and very ironic. And it raises some really interesting theological questions that I'm not going to really get into. But the, the the dialogue is almost like Moses changing god's mind a little bit okay and i don't know if that's actually what's going on or not because some some people would say that is what's going on some people would say no you can't change god's mind here's here's another idea okay god says you know i just had enough i just had enough i i seriously i've been feeding these people for months i have been i have been watering these people for months. I have been protecting these people for months. I, I, they, they cried out to me in their distress and slavery. I brought them out with an outstretched hand. I brought them to myself. I took them. I am taking them to the land that I promised them. I'm doing everything right here. And I just, I've had enough. Moses, you are a descendant of Abraham. I can just start over with you. I just start over with you. We'll make you that great nation. I still fulfill my promises and it's great. And you see Moses going like, but God, what will the Egyptians say when they find out that you have defeated them and then led them out into the, led the people out in the wilderness just to let them die out there? What then will the nations say about you? It's, it's this really interesting contrived argument. And God goes, yeah, yeah, I am that guy, aren't I? Uh." slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. No wholesale slaughter today, but you guys are grounded like forever. <laughs> forever. <clears throat> the, I I'm not trying to make great light of this passage, but what I do <laughs> there there is a reasoning that 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 says that God is basically god is friends with moses and god is venting <laughs> god already knows what god's going to do god already knows that god's going to be faithful god's just venting about how hard it is to love a people that don't know what they're doing and you know what i actually take great i actually take great hope from that i really do because here's the thing your God knows what it's like when you just feel done and you want to give it up and you just want to throw it all away. Your God knows what that feels like. Your heavenly Father knows what it's like to be fed up and tired of waiting for things to get better. He knows what it's like When that person that you are faithfully loving and caring for has hurt you for the thousand umpteenth time. He knows what it's like when disappointment strikes for the million umpteenth time. And that's why I'm thankful for this scripture, even if it's kind of confusing. It is so important that when we consider how God operates, when we consider patience and mercy from god okay we we just heard in second peter you must understand that with the lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day okay so we understand that god at god stands outside of time as we understand it but that does not mean that when god is talking about having patience and mercy be the hallmarks of our lives as disciples It is not coming from some detached place where God can't understand us. He's like, I don't understand. A thousand years, it's like a day. Okay? No, what that means is that God is experiencing a thousand years of disappointment compressed into a day. And stays faithful anyway. That'll blow your mind, huh? Huh? He understands how hard it is to work and work and work and wait and wait and wait. And it is good for us to hear that, but it is even better for us to hear this. At the end of the the dialogue with Moses, God says, I am the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in faithful, steadfast love. There's a word for this. It's chesed. And, and like there's not even there's not I don't even really have a good way to explain it to you in English. It is so full, but it is literally this idea of like I am the only one that can do what I am doing in this particular circumstance because of who I am and because of who you are. And so I will act in the absolute best way. I show mercy to a thousand generations, yet by no means ignoring sin, punishing even to the third and the fourth generation. God's fundamental nature is to hold out hope on our behalf. To keep moving in mercy, to wait and work impatience for us and even when he does respond he does not treat us with the severity that our rebellion against him deserves he continually lets his mercy overshadow and many times letting his mercy overshadow means delaying means not doing means not acting how much of my impatience at god not Just speeding things up and getting this all finished and making it all right again is based in my lack of understanding as to actually what it would look like for God to make everything the way it should be. I don't know if I really want that as much as I think I do. I don't know if we really want that as much as we think we do. Because this, and, and so he gives this 40 years of wandering to Israel. An entire generation is going to pass away and a whole new generation is going to be raised up. And, and to us, that looks like it's just, oh, it looks just so over the top. So, so much more. But think about it from the other side. Israel continues to think that they are at the center of the deliverance story. Every time Israel grumbles and complains, it is because they've lost not just the plot, but they've lost the main character in the story. The main, the main character in the story is not Moses, it's not Israel, it is God. God. God is the main character in the deliverance story. And God is the main character in Numbers. God is the main character in the wanderings. Why? Because it's going to take that long to raise up a people who will learn how to trust, who will learn how to make themselves not the center of the story enough, so that when God comes back and says, yeah, those people are still as strong as they were before, and it's still as dangerous as it was before, But now through the waiting, now through having to exercise, having to let me be your patience. We talked even this morning in class about how patience is described as long-suffering. How enduring through the suffering, perseverance, all of those words that we really don't like in the Bible, but that are all over the place. Now you are ready to let me do what I need to do. The fruit of patience starts with vision. Understanding God's intentional delays as mercy will drive us to a better understanding of that mercy at work in us and a better grasp of what it looks like to have that mercy work through us. Because this is, this is not just a sermon about receiving God's mercy. This is, about, this is a sermon about becoming God's mercy. If the fruit of the Spirit is at work in me, it's not just that I'm going to have more patience with God, it's that I'm going to start having more patience with myself, and I'm going to start having more patience with everybody else around me. And let me be clear. That is a fruit of the Spirit. This is not a sermon about being a kinder person. Because you can't do that by yourself. You cannot manufacture patience. Any more than you could manufacture any of the other things. That we've been talking about over the last few weeks. The fruit of the spirit of patience. Is allowing the character of God. To supersede your character. And when God says. I am a God who is slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. That is not just a great statement. To describe who God is. That is a great understanding of what we are daily allowing the Holy Spirit to generate inside of us. Because practically, that's what becoming patience is. It's tied to those two practices, being slow to anger and being abounding in that steadfast love, that chesed. When I think of the slow to anger piece of it, The wisdom literature, especially Proverbs, has a ton of prescriptions of this. But they they all kind of boil down to this idea. Wisdom is a slow, intentional response to what is going on around me. And foolishness is the quick reaction. And we're all different people. Some of us are dominators, some of us are withdrawers. Some of us, our first reaction when something happens is to get in there and grab a hold of it, right? And some of us, it's the opposite. When something comes and it's not in control, we're going to turn tail and we're going to run the other way as fast as we can. I think what Jesus is challenging us to in this, especially when we look at, at God's character, is that he is asking us to take either side of that dominate with coin when we are faced with something that is testing our patience and to immerse it in his presence first. When we consider how he would speak in this situation, we are already starting the road of patience. When we are considering how he would act in a given situation first, we are already starting down the road of patience. Because what I'm not doing is I'm not taking my consideration to be the center of the story and how I should respond first. When we consider how often Jesus said, Do not worry. Or how often the messengers of God say, Do not be afraid. We need to realize that one of our great tendencies is to allow the enemy, the adversary, to seize on our fear. And one of the great ways to allow patience to flourish in us is to allow the, the presence of Jesus to overshadow the things that arouse anger and frustration in us. Because they do not matter so greatly in the light of his eternal mercy. I think that's the first part of it. But then the other piece is the abounding and steadfast love. Because patience isn't just about not getting angry. Patience is about taking the attitude of consistently hoping the best for the other. And working toward that end through consistent love. If I sit at the center of my story, then all of you are just bit parts. I, I love you, but you are. Okay, and how I will relate to you will either be whether you are people that help further my story, or whether you people that get in the way of my story. I'm just kidding, Hector. I love you. I, no, no, like, you were just somebody for me to look at, um, and you were somebody that wasn't going to get mad at me. Uh, <laughs> you, know, like, you look at the wrong person when you make that example, and you may have to do some like serious pastoral counseling later. But I mean, you. If, if I am at the center of my story, then everybody either is an aid or an obstacle, which means that they aren't people anymore, which means I have no ability to embody the steadfast love of God to them anymore because they aren't people. And how often is my, is my lack of patience rooted in placing myself at the center of the story? Because if God is at the center of the story, and, and, and that's the other thing, all the people that are, that are running into your life that are rude or impatient to you, it's because they don't know that it's not their story. Patience may be one of the best evangelistic tools that you have in this world, because what it will do is they will be like, wow, you respond very differently than the people around me do. And you go, yeah, because I know that I'm not at the center of this story. There is a bigger story going on here. And I'm just thrilled I get to be a part of it. That movement away from self is what allows us to embody that steadfast love. Because if God is, if God is at the center of the story, then he's going to put you in specific positions where you have the ability to forward the story for someone else and then all of a sudden those interruptions that come into your life or those things that detour your life or those things that you want to get in and control or those things that you want to run away from those take on a completely different light now in the view of the fact that God's hesed his steadfast love is what's driving the story and so maybe when you're having to wait it's not so bad anymore and maybe when you're having to act, it's not so bad anymore. And I talk about I mean I, I talk about patience as, as primarily minor annoyance, but I mean let's get back to the reality. When 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 Peter was talking in Second Peter, he was really talking about the waiting. The deep, deep longing for the return of Jesus. Okay? Cause there's some things that you and I don't want to have to outwait. We just the idea of having to wait the rest of our lives for for it to be made right is just crushing. It's overwhelming. That's that's a patience that no amount of self will is ever gonna fix. It's just not. And in the middle of that, my comfort for me and for you is this that we have a God that allows us to make the cry of the psalmist, How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? He doesn't get mad at us, He doesn't give up on us. When we've cried out, how long, O Lord, for the millionth time. Instead, he, he brings us into his steadfast love and says, As long as it takes, as long as it takes for my mercy to be fulfilled. Not just for you, but for everybody. But I'm not gonna let you do I'm not gonna make you deal with that alone. I'm gonna bring you into myself just like he did with Israel, shepherding them through the wilderness. He did not give up and say, you know what? I've had enough of this waiting stuff. Instead, he embraced Israel more fully, and he will embrace us more fully in the waiting. And that is the great comfort that we have as we wait for that day. Amen? May we go armed with that kind of patience. May we go armed with that kind of patience. Of faith. May our patience be a witness to the world around us.